0: Welcome to episode 179 of the Spokesman Cycling Roundtable podcast. This show was recorded on January 24th, 2018.
1: The Spokesman Cycling Roundtable podcast is brought to you by Jensen USA, where you'll always find a great selection of products at amazing prices with unparalleled customer service. For more information, just go to JensenUSA.com slash The Spokesman. And now, for a limited time, new customers to Jensen USA who are referred by The Spokesman get 10% off one item. Simply enter The Spokesman, no
0: spaces, at checkout. Hi there, I'm Colton Reed of BikeBiz.com, and today's show, today's Spokesman Cycling Roundtable podcast, is about autonomous vehicles, driverless cars. And I spoke to Christian Woolmar who is a transport journalist here in the UK, and he's written a book about uh, driverless cars and, and how perhaps they're not quite so dreamy and so wonderful and so gorgeous as many uh, starry-eyed uh, technology journalists are letting on. Uh, so without further ado, let's hear from Christian Woolmar. Uh, I am uh, here with Christian Woolmar this morning, and we're in the same time zone, which is unusual for this podcast to have uh, uh, the guests actually in the same country, but we are not in the same room. So, uh, Christian, you're speaking to us from London, yes? And I'm in Newcastle.
1: Uh, that's right. I uh, live just behind Holloway Prison, now closed. <laughs> OK.
0: Now, I want to uh, talk to you about your latest book. And you have written lots of books. So when I'm on your, your website, it's like, wow how many books to choose from here and I would like to talk about your latest uh, book that's going to be on autonomous vehicles driverless cars but first of all I'd like to find out a little bit about you so this is a cycling podcast so I do want to get into your your cycling credentials but first of all let's have your your writing credentials so you're a transport writer and you're specializing in rail is that fair?
1: Uh, yes, although I'd say more widely that I specialise in uh, uh, transport policy. Uh, I was trans- made transport correspondent of the Independent some 25 years ago, and I realised this was a real niche. This was an area that was undercovered by mainstream journalists, and uh, so I developed a, the speciality while on the paper, and then I left the paper in 1997 and had been writing about it ever since. And I've produced, as you say, about a dozen books, mainly on railways, but Mm -hmm. also a couple on uh, more general transport policy, uh, notably one called Our Tram Socialist, which Mm -hmm. was really a critique of transport policy uh, over the years, being far too uh, uh, car oriented and with little understanding of overall transport needs. Uh, And now, of course, this book, uh, Autonomous Cars on a Road to Nowhere.
0: there, there is a, a very much a cycling element to, to autonomous cars which we will get on to but first of all you haven't written any cycling books
1: no actually i have uh tried to get together uh some uh tv programs on cycling and look i am a cycling obsessive you know i'm on the board of the london cycling campaign i've just created uh, an organization called labor cycles which is going to push for the labor party to have better cycling policies and that's going to have a launch conference on uh, the 3rd of february in, in manchester and uh, you know cycling is is just my way of of getting around i don't necessarily like defining myself as a cyclist i'm just somebody who uses a bicycle every day, sometimes up to 25, 30 miles a day, but just as a way of getting from A to B.
0: And, of course, you've mentioned Labour cycles there, so you you are a Labour Party member, and you were a, a mayoral candidate for 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 London.
1: Yes, so, I, I tried to uh, get the Labour nomination uh, for uh, standing in the 2016 uh, election as the... Uh, Labour candidate, um, and uh, I managed, even though I wasn't an MP, I managed to get on a short list with five MPs, including, of course, Sadiq, who eventually won, uh, and uh, David Lammy and Tessa Jowell and Diane Abbott, uh, and had great fun for two or three months mm. uh, on the hustings after, I must say, a campaign of about two and a half years, uh, and I, I got 5,000 votes, and importantly, I got one of my key ideas accepted by Sadiq, which was... Uh, to pedestrianise Oxford Street, which Mm. he is now proceeding with. And I think that will be transformational for London. Though actually controversially within cycling circles, I don't think that there should be a cycling lane down the middle of it. I think it should be dedicated uh, to pedestrians and that better east-west facilities for cyclists should be uh, introduced in London.
0: I, I, I will be controversial with you, Christian, and say I agree. Right, absolutely. Good. You know, you can yes. have access to bikes, and you can you can get a par- cycle parking next to Oxford Street, but you can't really have. It'd be very difficult to to have it truly pedestrianised if there was a a, a cycle uh, way right the way through it.
1: Uh, absolutely. I mean, you only have to look at somewhere like uh, uh, the embankment on the south side of uh, the river, which has been opened up over the years with lots of tourist facilities like uh, uh, Tate London stuff. Um, and uh, sorry, T- Tate Modern. And uh, initially, I remember when that first started to be opened up, there weren't very many pedestrians along it. So it was quite possible to cycle. Hmm. Now there's so many pedestrians there that I would never dream of using that as a cycle route. And the same will apply to Oxford Street. You know, there are literally a couple of hundred thousand people mm. a day walking down it. It is madness that they are squeezed out by buses and taxis, mm. but nor do I think they should face the risk of cyclists going at 12, 15 miles an hour down, down the middle. I'm afraid just the sheer volume dictates what uh, mode should be preferred and clearly the volume of pedestrians will far outweigh anything else and therefore it should be exclusively pedestrian uh, for pedestrians i know some cyclists disagree with me but i'm very uh, convinced of that
0: what about uh, times because what happens in newcastle where i live i know you've been here because uh, you've been brought up for new cycling Um, But there's a street called
1: Northumberland Street. I'm actually the president of the uh, Newcastle uh, cycling campaign. You are, yes. So
0: Northumberland Street is the main shopping street in Newcastle-upon-Tyne. It's pedestrianised. It used to be the A1. It was the Great North Road. So it was the the absolute natural route for anybody to to take. It was pedestrianised in stages. And technically, you're not allowed to cycle along it. Yet at night, where there's no people... it it doesn't make much sense not to cycle on it. So I kind of, my own ethical, uh, moral quandary on this is if there's thousands of people milling about during the daytime, I'm not going to cycle up there. If at night there's very few people up there, I will cycle up there. So is that potential for uh, Oxford Street? You could have a, you know, through the daytime, no, you can't use it. Or is it so heavily populated, you'd have to have cyclists not on there full time? (coughs)
1: i think that's a perfectly workable solution uh, except i think we'll have to give it a little bit of time first and see what sort of nighttime economy will oxford street develop mm. uh, at the moment it's pretty dead once the shops uh, close, close and, and there isn't much going on and actually uh, there's a bit of road traffic, and uh, it it's a bit of a sad place, actually. Mm-hmm. Will there be a big nighttime economy will it will it kind of allow the West End to spread out a bit, which I hope it does actually, and if so, you know, will there be restaurants setting up tables across the the street and uh you know, will there be trees planted and the whole thing actually. Uh, become such a pedestrian area that you won't want anybody to, to go through it. So I, I would initially say, uh, you know, let's just close it off and, and see what develops and then uh, adapt it uh, later on. I think the key is initially getting the, the buses and uh, the taxes. Uh, I must say, look, I was at a, a Labour Party meeting uh, yesterday. I'm, I'm actually trying to be a candidate in cities of London and Westminster, and it was the Hustings and uh, I, my ear was bent very ferociously by a couple of people who lived in Fitzrovia and said, Oh, this is going to be a disaster. We actually have to stop it. It's going to be terrible. Uh, you know, we're going to get all the pollution. And I made the point. That actually Oxford Street pedestrianisation is going to happen because it's impossible for it not to, given the rival crossrail and, in fact, the mayor as uh, as a key pledge. What they have to do is make sure that they get the the best possible solution for local residents as well. And my my view would be that that would be a creeping, gradual extension of pedestrianised areas or uh, roads which are created as dead ends to stop uh, cars going through. And you would, over time, uh, extend the area so that uh, you wouldn't get very many cars uh, in the general uh, district. Uh, But that will take years.
0: Well, that's a good segue into your book in that there's a dilemma coming up uh, lots of cities are, are, in effect, doing what you just said there. They are extending the no-car zones. And yet the autonomous car champions, of which billions have been spent by, you know, by Google, by Apple, uh, by all of the, the car companies, are, in effect, going the opposite way. That They assume they're going to get into in, into city centres because it's going to be this, this safety nirvana because they will no longer kill pedestrians and cyclists because... There's their computer algorithms driving them. So let's get into your book. So you've you've just published or it's the London Publishing Partnership, I should say, has just published your book, which is called Driverless Cars on a Road to Nowhere, uh, published on January the 18th. It's £9.99. I've read it. It's an excellent book. Um, the, the, The basic premise of that book, Christian, is that there is no future for these these autonomous vehicles, despite all the hype.
1: Uh, Yes, uh, I I think that uh, the whole idea has been developed not because there's any great demand for driverless cars, but because uh, the technology companies uh, have uh, got all this footloose capital that they don't quite know what to do with. They have got too much money developed because of their monopoly position. And the auto manufacturers are terrified Uh, that they need uh, the next uh, new thing and they don't want to to miss out. So uh, together they have uh, developed this concept, this idea of driverless cars as being the future of transport in our cities. But I think it is deeply flawed. There is no great demand for it. Uh, And uh, I think technically, uh, I think it's much more difficult than they imagine. I think we can discuss this, but I think they're finding that out.
0: Hmm. Now in in the book you 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 describe yourself as not a luddite so you're not an anti technology person per se this is not you know is just trying to stop uh progress if if that is what these things represent however with your your absolute intimate knowledge of rail history you will know that there were people saying at in the 1820s 1830s saying we could never have people traveling you know, over 15 miles per hour, they will explode. Uh, rail is, doesn't have a future. Uh, all the same arguments, roughly, that maybe you've been bringing forward in your book were said about early rail. So do you recognise that y- maybe you are being a Luddite and maybe there is a future and, and, and you're on the wrong side of history, not the, not the driverless cars people?
1: Uh, No, not at all. Uh, Of course, all new transport technologies kind of attract opponents, uh, but not all transport technologies necessarily develop into uh, widespread use. One could think of all sorts of things like monorail, like maglev, like, Mm. you know, possibly jet, the jetpacks that uh, people were supposed to wear uh, when I read the Eagle kind of uh, comic 50 years ago, and that they were going to, we were all going to have jetpacks that would transport us around towns. Uh, And, uh, you know, hovercrafts never kind of really developed beyond very niche uses. uh, and, And so on, maglev has been around for you know, 40 years, 50 years, and and again has has come up against what seem to be insuperable problems. Uh, so, uh, you know, there's no there's no technological determinism here. That's what is key. The 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 pr- 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 protagonists for autonomous cars tend to say, well, this is arriving. You know, this is now it's going to be technically possible, and therefore we should have it. And there's two problems there. One is that I don't think it's technically Possible. Uh, I've talked to people uh, in artificial intelligence and I've talked to software developers who say that the absolute driverless car, and I'll come back to that uh, subject, the absolute driverless car is just not uh, technically feasible. It will need far too, mem- too much memory. It will need far too much uh, a computer power to be able to uh, cope with all the demands of, say, driving down a, 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 a busy uh, high street. And then the, the, the second aspect of that is, uh, uh, you know, the fact that we don't really want this. Uh, you know, there, there, there is no kind of... Uh, necessary demand fit. People like driving their cars. I find that rather strange living in the centre of London. I never Mm. drive my car uh, except uh, uh, when I have to take a suitcase somewhere or something. Uh, But people do actually like driving their cars. And uh, uh, that's going to be an insuperable barrier. But let me come back to the five levels of autonomous or six levels of autonomous car, right? Um, there's a series of levels which starts with level zero, which has virtually no level, no autonomy at all, up to level five, which doesn't actually have any controls, which is entirely autonomous. You have no uh, access to the controls, except possibly a stop button, right? And at first, the manufacturers and the tech companies were developing it progressively: level two, level three. Now, level three was the crucial barrier because Level three is where the car will drive itself most of the time, but you need to be alert to intervene. And that was proved to be greatly problematic because people fell asleep, right? They got bored. They went on the motorway and they thought there's nothing happening here and they fell asleep or they just lost attention or they took 26 seconds to actually intervene in the case of emergency. So Ford and Google have abandoned plans to go for level three and they're going straight for level four, which is having the controls but basically totally autonomous, or level five. Now the problem there is that technologically it is very, very difficult. Um there's just it's quite easy having that sort of level along motorways and highways and dual carriageways. At the moment the cars can't drive in the dark, they can't drive Uh, When there's heavy rain, they can't drive when the road markings are not uh, properly uh, set out. uh, They can't drive in conditions where there's lots of unexpected uh, events, notably cyclists. Hmm. So we're nowhere near there technologically, even though the hype says that, oh, it's all going to happen by 2021 or whatever.
0: So my issue with with driverless cars, and I have written about driverless cars too, is they're not incredibly revolutionary in that they're just cars. So that's, that's not the hover cars. That's not all these advances in technology. They're just cars. And if you want to sit back and, and play with your uh, iPhone and, and make some, do some messages on your laptop, or if you're a blind person, or if you're a child, all these things that are meant to be you know, fr- uh, f- freeing up uh, cars for, for these groups of people... Well, you can do that today, and you've have, you have done that since the early 1900s. You just book a taxi, and then you have uh, an uh, autonomous car. Uh, Somebody else does the driving for you. So, this, in effect, the, the technology is just uh, an automated taxi driver.
1: Yes. Now, this is where it gets interesting, because, because they're going for level four or five, and they realize that, A, there's some barriers to it that people might not necessarily want it, and B, that actually it will have large, large dis-benefits like if there's lots of empty cars driving around, increase congestion, not decrease it. So they then say, ah, well, if we have uh, these driverless cars, nobody will want to own them personally. We're going to all travel in these pods mm. and you're going to whistle them up, uh, presumably with some sort of app. The pod will come take you off to work, and then we'll uh, go off into the sunset to take the next person. So they're essentially an Uber service without the Uber driver, right? Mm. But there's a lot of problems here. People don't want some automatic pod. They want their golf clubs in it, or they want their child seats in it, or they want a big car because they're taking their son up to university, or they want a small car. Um, You know, they don't necessarily want this... Uh, uh, ubiquitous pod that is supposed to solve all our transport needs. But the tech companies and the auto manufacturers are pushing this model because they realize that it's the only way that you can sell this as having some benefits. So, for example, Google, in uh, evidence to a congressional committee said, "Well, we'll be able to free up the parking lots across America, which take up the space of the of the state of Connecticut. So this will be wonderful. But there's no evidence that this is either feasible or desirable. As you say, we could do it already. What with with Uber and the like. What they're putting forward." is a big social change, i.e. the fact that we're all going to have shared vehicles, in the guise of a technological change, which is that they're going to be autonomous. But the two are by no means linked. And and in fact, uh, I, I see no reason why uh, uh, they, they should uh, put them forward as, as a ubiquitous solution to uh, our transport needs, because there's no evidence that it will work.
0: Do you think that... No, oh, bless you. Uh, <laughs> uh, the, the Holborn problem that you talk about in, in your book, which is basically uh, lots of people coming out of uh, the Holborn Underground Station at a certain time of day would confuse these driverless cars. They wouldn't be able to go anywhere. There's the famous case of uh, the Google car uh, being stuck at a, a cross-section because there's a, a fixie rider uh, doing a track stand, and the, 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 the car just doesn't understand what, what this track stand is, so it doesn't move. So this, this means that Bolshy pedestrians and Bolshy cyclists of the future could stop driverless cars in, in their, their, their tracks. So do you think the car industry is going to stand by and, and, and let us pesky pedestrians and bolshy bicyclists do that?
1: Well, I think that's the biggest danger. I mean, the 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 Holborn problem, I think, is uh, unsolvable without legislation to control uh, pedestrians. And and let me say why. Because once once you stand in front of these uh, cars, they have to stop. Right by. You know asimov's law of robotics or whatever they can't kill people once they start killing people there's a there's, there's another problem right so uh, of course if you stand in front of them at 40 miles an hour and they can't stop in time that that's your fault but basically they have to be programmed to stop when there, there is danger now uh, as i say in my book uh, at holborn at six o'clock in the evening there's just so many people spilling onto the, onto the roads that they would never be able to move. There would be total gridlock because how cars get around it at the moment is they edge forward and they kind of push the people out of the way and eventually kind of get through. Now, I don't think driverless cars could do that. They couldn't drive at people who are quite near them uh, uh, physically. You can't then sort of edge towards them. You can't hoot them because you won't have any controls and it will be absolutely impossible. So as you suggest... What the result of that might be is that we'll get legislation to say, oh, you absolutely can't jaywalk. It becomes a a criminal offence to to go on a road without uh, a a green light to allow you. We're going to fence off vast swathes of uh, uh, road because the driverless cars have to be given priority. Uh, And uh, it, it will completely change the relationship between cars and pedestrians uh, for the worst, for the pedestrians and the, and the cyclists. Now, let me also add that there is a huge security problem here, because uh, obviously this won't happen at Holborn at six o'clock. But down the uh, alleyways and byways of uh, the inner city in darkness at two o'clock in the morning, if you're in your driverless car and you're a woman travelling on your own, or indeed, if you're somebody with a, a blingy watch on you, uh, you will be totally vulnerable to being attacked uh, because somebody could stand in front of the car and their mates can can bash into the car and, and uh, rape and pillage at will. Now, when I put this on a radio program to Paul Newman, who's one of the real protagonists of this, Professor Paul Newman of, of I think it's called Oxford uh, Robotics, uh, uh, I put this idea and said, look, uh, you know, uh, there is a real security issue here. He said, oh, that's just absolute nonsense, just absolute ludicrous suggestion. He said, uh, you know, be, these cars will be monitored and they'll, they'll film the people and, and and they'll get caught and uh, it will never happen. And I thought, ah. So if that's your best answer to what I think is an absolutely fundamental problem, I think an absolute insolvable problem for these blasted cars, then... Uh, you really kind of expose the fact that you haven't fought through these issues. And when I cite the Holborn problem to uh, people at conferences and the like, uh, who are working on these uh, 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 vehicles, it's very interesting that They do admit that nobody really has done any thinking along these lines at all. They just all think of the technology All think of, oh, this is the big idea. This is what people want. Oh, we will be traveling in electric pods. The media then pick it up and say, oh, this is wonderful. This is amazing. These cars are coming by 2021. Uh, They're going to be flooding. They're going to be putting all the truck drivers out of of work and blah, blah, blah. And it's all absolute nonsense. Let me just add one thing about cyclists, because you talked about that fixie story, which they they apparently uh, Google now say, well, they would solve that problem. And, and uh, the uh, artificial intelligence would be able to identify that person. But uh, these driver's cars do not like cyclists. Uh, uh, the uh, boss of Nissan, Carlos Ghosn, uh, actually uh, said this in public: that you know the trouble with cyclists is they're unpredictable. You know sometimes they behave like pedestrians, and sometimes they behave like cyclists, and you know and 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 they they kind of swerve in and out of cars, and we really don't like them around our cars. And indeed, in a test drive of one of uh, Nissan's. Uh, quasi, you know, quasi autonomous cars. They uh, actually overtook a cyclist too close to the cyclist. The car didn't go in the next lane. It actually uh, just dodged around the cyclist, which is against the highway code. And they were deeply embarrassed about this because a journalist filmed it. So, uh, you know, cyclists actually pose a very big problem for these uh, cars, and there is a real danger that uh, local authorities and governments might be. Uh, foolish enough to say, oh, well, yes, we'll have to ban cyclists from these routes, particular roads, because autonomous cars will go down. That's one of the reasons why I wrote this book, actually, is as a warning to transport authorities not to adapt their uh, policies around these cars, but to reflect on on what they're they're really about.
0: Do you think that the car industry isn't actually that serious about autonomous cars, despite all the money, despite all the hype? And that's because they're also developing muscle cars they're also spending billions and billions on on standard cars and and you can't really have the two side by side you can't have standard cars and truly autonomous cars on the same road network it would just be chaos so if if the automakers were serious they would just stop producing standard cars now one would assume, and just start producing autonomous cars, so we can then leap straight to that level five. Would that, would that be a ref, a fair reflection?
1: No, I, I think they're Janus-faced about this because they don't quite know what to do, and they are terrified, right? So uh, they're they're trying everything basically, uh, but I don't think they recognise the contradiction that you've just highlighted. You know, they still. Building top-end models that somebody is really, you know, good to buy, you know, spend eighty, hundred thousand pounds on, and it's because they can do what shows in the car ads of kind of driving round uh, the Highlands or, or uh, you know, remote parts of Wales at kind of seventy miles an hour round uh, bends with no other cars around. And uh, they're still developing those while at the same time suggesting that we're all going to be in autonomous pods. And that's because they're trying to ride both horses at once, so they don't know what's going to happen. And I think the reality is that when you press these guys, they do realize that there are a lot more problems to autonomous cars than they envisage. And there's examples of this. I mean, for example, the boss of Google, uh, uh, or the, sorry, the boss who, who was in charge of their autonomous cars division, uh, Chris Hermanson, three or four years ago, said, oh, by the time my son's 17, which was in 2018, you know, we'll have driverless cars and he'll, he'll be able to just sit in the back and, and be driven around California. And of course, we are nowhere near that. Uh, absolutely nowhere near there is no such thing as a driverless car at the moment uh, that could uh, that could allow a child or a blind person or whatever to be to be driven uh, uh on uh, uh, random routes across wherever they wanted to go so uh the car manufacturers are well aware that there are much greater technical technical obstacles and therefore uh, they're you know keeping both sides going they are trying to develop these things because they're out of out of actually defensiveness they're terrified that somebody else will that rival car manufacturers will but they're still uh producing top of the range models that are tracked in the car enthusiasts and indeed the person who wants to keep his bloody golf clubs in the back of the car do
0: you also think there's if if, if there really was an impetus from society uh, from car manufacturers to have this kind of technology they would start with baby steps on things like speed limiters so if society really wanted to be driven around that they're going to have to go at a certain speed they can't just break the speed limit as they see fit today
1: Do you- well that's a, that's an interesting issue because actually uh one of the problems with the drivers cars uh, particularly in the early stages was well, people kept on going to the back of them uh, and the the reason why they kept on going to the back of them is because these things stopped at everything. Now they stop at less now. They, I think they can probably identify a plastic bag blowing around, which they won't stop at. Uh, but they still stop more often uh, because they have to be very uh, safety conscious. And people go up in the back of them because they don't realise uh, why why they're stopping. So uh, there is the the. the uh, issue of, of 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 safety kind of constrains their uh, development and uh, they then kind of suggest well maybe they'll have to break the speed limits or, or have to break the laws because everybody around them is breaking the speed limits and breaking the laws and if they put along at, uh, uh, at at 55 miles an hour on an american highway and everybody's going 65 miles an hour uh, they'll have to be programmed to be able to break the law. But once you program to break the law, you then open up a whole different can of worms about what happens in accidents if they've been breaking the law and so on. And does the software uh, engineer get uh, sued and prosecuted or does the, the quote, unquote, driver get prosecuted? So you get into all sorts of issues there. Let me just take that... <coughs> excuse me. Let me just take the opportunity, too, to... to uh, Debunk the safety issue. Uh, one of the uh, tweets I keep on getting back when I go on about driverless cars, oh, but they're going to be much safer. You know, they're going to be, uh, we, we kill, you know, one and a half million people a, a, a year across uh, the planet. You know, we could be much safer. Well, my answer to that is we could make sure that cars are much safer. Now, as you say, speed limiters, uh, much greater regard for pedestrians, universal 20 mile an hour, now, uh, uh, far greater control of, of what cars can do bigger fines uh, on on people who uh, break the law and so on and so on uh, and let's do all those things first and then see what the road death toll is and then also there was a question are these driver's cars really going to be safer they're very stupid there was this wonderful example a few weeks ago when there was this driver's bus in, in Las Vegas and uh, it, it was being tested and uh, a truck reversed into it. Now, a truck reversed into it because the driver's car realized that the truck was reversing and it stopped. But because there was no driver to sound the horn and no driver to reverse away from the truck, the truck just kept on going, hadn't seen the, the bus and reversed into it. Now, they said, oh, that was the truck driver's fault because he reversed into the bus. But actually, it's also uh the bus is' fault because it's stupid uh if they had a driver in control, they would have put the sound of the horn, as I say, or they would have reversed or they would have tried to somehow warn the truck of of the impending crash so these things are very stupid they're not actually clever and so there's no guarantee that they will necessarily ultimately be safer
0: mm. on 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 a similar topic there's a a thing called the it's it's sort of k p m g Uh, It's it's the AV Readiness Index. Have you seen that?
1: Uh, No, no, I haven't.
0: Okay, so KPMG, uh, a large consultancy firm, their head of infrastructure uh, has done this. uh, I think he's done it for at least a couple of years, but the, the latest one's just come out. And it's everything that you say in your book is you know what they they say about you know, it's a revolution it's getting Greece increase safety all of these kind of like topics came out in the I think day. I
1: read that I did read that for my book yes I saw that that paper yeah so yes.
0: every single you know trope came out about that but I yes. actually spoke to so the the author of this is Richard Threlfall which you you might have actually talked to him uh, in his previous life because he was the private secretary uh, to the UK transport secretary back in the 1990s, is in charge of all sorts of infrastructure things even now. So he's one of these major proponents of uh, autonomous vehicles. He's written this report. And interestingly, the the readiness Index goes to all the countries around the world where it's most likely that autonomous cars, uh, autonomous vehicles will will be uh, uh, tootling along. And the one that comes out on top is and it's not relatively unsurprising really is the netherlands uh when you delve into it one of the reasons or many of the reasons are uh, uh there's all of these called these pillars uh, of, of what the country's got to have uh, and one of them uh, is just charging points and infrastructure and of course the netherlands has got an amazing transport networks it's got fabulous motorways fabulous roads for 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 fast motoring if that's what you're into and of course it's got separate cycleways so I, i spoke to him and i said did did you actually include uh cycleways in your index in the fact that you know the netherlands will be a good place for avs because you aren't going to have any cyclists in the way because they're all channeled onto to separate cycleways he said well we we didn't but he did then say that in the future I'll actually quote, quote what he said here. So he said, What I should note is that AVs should, in theory, allow road lanes eventually to become narrower because AVs should be able to navigate much closer together. That, in turn, should free up space which is currently assigned to vehicles, creating the possibility of much more extensive networks of cycle lanes being created alongside the carriageways. So, Christian, shouldn't we be welcoming these? That's my phone going off. I'm going to stop that. Shouldn't we be welcoming these things? Because in the future, we could actually have the Netherlands. Right? No, we, we could is, also this have...
1: This is one of these nonsenses, right? Why should cars be able to go closer together? Uh, because uh, they're autonomous. Uh, OK, uh, the, the, the notion is that because the, the, the computer can, can read exactly the distance in front of the car that the, the next car is going, and the, the, there'll be a slight uh, uh, improvement over human performance. Although, you know, if you drive in Italy you'll find that uh, they got bloody close together all the time. But uh, uh, I've seen articles that say, well these driver's cars will be able to drive a few foot apart power at 80 miles an hour. Well they won't. Uh, this is ridiculous. I mean, there, there is no... Uh, You know, the laws of of physics do not change. If you're going at 80 miles an hour, you have to allow a certain amount of space to the car uh, in front of you. Because if it stops suddenly because of a blowout, because it hits the central barrier, because uh, uh, a dog runs in front of it or uh, or, or whatever, uh, of course, you have to uh, still have the same distance. So this is another of these. There is no evidence that the, the 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 lanes will be able to be narrower and uh, uh nearer together quite apart from fact just as a side by the way because if if you had all autonomous cars driving in these lanes you'd need much more roadworks because they would drive in exactly the same place all the time and just as you get in bus stops sometimes you'd get great big craters to where the 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 wheels would go all the time so they'd have to close the roads all the time to actually repair them so uh, or you'd have to build much more expensive roads i mean this is again one of these unchallenged assumptions which these people make without any kind of overriding consideration of, of wider issues and it just uh, to be honest I mean it's why I wrote the book and why the book is actually fairly angry because all these very very clever people I'm sure a lot of them are cleverer than me don't actually think out basic issues about you can't drive near each other at 80 miles an hour because you'd have the hugest pile up in the world if something went wrong to the car in front. Can't,
0: can't we just humour them and say Okay, this is the future. Uh, cyclists are, are clearly can't can't be on the same roads as autonomous vehicles. So why don't you build the Dutch-style cycle networks first? <laughs> and then get autonomous cars you know in in 15 years time we agree we, we should have them but let's have the networks first for cyclists
1: <laughs> yes i'd love that but i can't see philip hammond uh, uh agreeing to that and instead philip hammond kind of says oh there'll be driverless cars by uh 2021 and we must uh, spend large amounts of british tax uh, payers money on on developing and then uh, accommodate them on our roads with all sorts of new legislation and insurance regulations and and the like. Um, so that's, a, that's a, a a very nice idea, Carlton, but I don't uh, think it's going to happen.
0: So is that another way, another reason why th- th- this is potentially not the real future? Because they're not really planning for it. If they were planning for these things, they would be getting cyclists off the road by 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 building these networks now. So if they're not, well, they're not really serious.
1: I, I think that's right, actually. I, I I think they've got no conception of how to deal with this, and uh, you know the the very point of my book is to is to is to raise wider issues and and stimulate the debate. Let me let me give you an example. I, I got asked by the road safety officers' uh, annual conference uh, to to speak in a debate. It's great, and I'd I'd love to do this. Uh, again, in various other places, uh, to debate with uh, uh, a supporter of driver's cars. We had 10 minutes each. And so I used my 10 minutes to pretty much set out what I wrote in the book and which we've discussed uh, so far. And then the other guy gets up it doesn't address a single issue, nor a single issue that I'd raise. Instead, he gives his little prepared speech about how we kill one and a half million people on the roads uh, annually across the world, uh, how these things will be safer, uh, and how the, the technology is wonderful and uh, uh, how terrible the roads are at the moment, how it will relieve congestion, uh, how it will enable blind people to, to, to drive around uh, and, and so on without any, any... Uh, attempt to address the problems and the issues I raised. So they're just working in this bunker, this technological bunker, kind of hidden away from the real world, just absolutely obsessed with their devices. I mean, they are nerds, you know, they are the sort of computer nerds uh, of the automotive and technological industry. They are the, the nerds kind of buried away, unable to think outside the box.
0: Well, that's been fascinating, uh, Christian. And, and your book is driverless cars on a road to nowhere. It's by the London publishing partnership. Sorry,
1: it's it was... auto- it's uh, sorry, it is yes. Sorry, sorry, sorry.
0: Well, you, in your book, you mentioned that you should call nice. it driverless cars. Road oh, to nowhere. Yeah. Sorry. Yeah. Sorry. Yeah. And you should call it autonomous vehicles. I, I know you do say that, but I guess to to popularise it, you got to use the phrase I, driverless cars
1: in the title because that's yes. what. People i yes. uh, should talk about autonomous vehicles
0: yes, yes no i agree so it's published by the london publishing partnership uh, about a week ago and it's available for nine pounds 99 now christian thank you very much for being uh, on the spokesman podcast today what we do at the end of of uh, guest interviews is it's your chance to tell people where they can get in touch with you so how do people find you
1: on the internet
0: uh, uh, what, are your, what are your social handles
1: Yes, all my social handles uh, at uh, Christian Walmart uh, on uh, Twitter, uh, www.christianwalmart.co.uk uh, on my website, uh, and uh, Christian Walmart on Facebook, um, and uh, my email address is christian.walmart at gmail.com. Uh, if people want a, a signed copy, I'll, I'll happily send one off for a tenner uh and uh, uh and i could be reached uh on my mobile phone on 07931 i really want to get uh uh this uh, notion about this driverless cars out so i'm particularly keen for people to uh, uh contact me so i'm not a luddite i use all those uh, all those uh social media outlets and i use them all the time uh every day so i'm by no means a luddite
0: thank you today's guest christian walmart i will put a link to christian's book uh, on the show notes which is hosted at the spokesmen.com uh, which is the uh, dash spokesman dot com. and uh, thank you for listening today thank you for subscribing and thank you for telling your friends about the spokesman cycling round table podcast uh, the next show uh, will be out in a wee while it'll be show one hundred and eighty And in the meantime, get out there and ride!